to Esther chapter 6. We turn the page this morning to pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Esther 6 is at page 414 in your pew Bible, if that's helpful for you. Uh, when last we were here, the sun was setting behind the silhouette of a 75-foot, that is 50 cubits tall, scaffold being erected by wicked Haman's servants, on which the very next day, first thing in the morning, if possible, the very next day to hang, well, more likely, according to uh, Persian practice, to impale Mordecai, the uncle of the present queen, Esther. Now, how did we get to this point? Well, Jewish Mordecai raised Esther, his niece, as his own daughter in the Persian capital of Susa. There they blended, perhaps just a little bit too well, with the culture, even as they retained their Jewishness in a quiet way. Remember, Esther's Jewish name was Hadassah. They might have passed their lives in quiet and comfortable anonymity there in Persia had not the impulsive Persian emperor uh, expelled his queen in a drunken fit of pique, requiring that a replacement be found. That replacement, through a series of unjust and unrighteous and even immoral events, turned out to be the beautiful Esther. By this time, to which we come this morning in the history, she has been queen for several years, but an antagonist has entered the picture, Haman the Agagite, who has an historic axe to grind with the Jews and has, without explanation, been promoted to prime minister, essentially, under King Ahasuerus. And his hardness, his hard-heartedness toward the Jews has only been stiffened by the refusal of Mordecai, uh, we might say Mordecai's stiffness and standing there, refusing to obey the king's edict to bow, like the rest of the crowd, to hotshot Haman whenever he passes by. In fact, it incenses Haman every time he sees Mordecai refusing to pay homage to him. What to do about it? Well, Haman... Haman has managed to secure a, a royal edict to destroy all the Jews, all of them, on a day appointed 11 months hence, a total genocide. But patience cannot be stretched that long in the case of this one Jew, Mordecai. Food has no taste, family has no joy, uh, riches, no pleasure, power and fame, no satisfaction to Haman as long as Mordecai draws breath. So on the advice of his, oh, so sweet, what a sweetheart wife of his, he has hatched a plan to kill Mordecai with the king's permission before lunchtime the next day. And who can enjoy his lunch, right, as long as Mordecai lives but as she says, you'll, you'll enjoy lunch much better when he's impaled up there on the top of that pole. Well, meanwhile, Mordecai has made Queen Esther aware of the edict of death against her people and has called upon her to intervene with the king on their behalf. 
And bravely now, she is in the process of doing just that, having survived against the odds an initial encounter with the king in his throne room. And more than that, having secured the favor of the king there and having had the king and Haman to one feast, she has invited them to another the very next day. At that second feast, she plans to take up the king's generous offer to grant whatever she asks from him by requesting his help to save her people. So as we finished last time, the sun's setting behind the gallows. We also tucked Haman into bed, who was dreaming of death for Mordecai. Esther, who was praying for deliverance from, uh, for the Jews. Mordecai, who's praying too, totally unaware of the plans for his premature demise. And a clueless king who doesn't know about any of this, and yet suffers a mysterious case of insomnia on that very night. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the marvelous word that you've given us and the marvelous way that you reveal your truth to us through story, through gripping and exciting story, history, behind which, of course, we know uh, you are moving. Even in our history this morning, in this house, right now, Father, move by your hand, we pray, in every one of our hearts and all of us together, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Esther 6, we'll read 14 verses. On that night, the king could not sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, who's in the court? Now, Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the, king, you know, the king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? Haman said to himself, hmm, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and, and the horse that the king has ridden, and, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Uh, let them dress the man whom the king honors to, delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry! Take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so 
Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And Mordecai returned to the king's gate. But Haman hurried to his house mourning and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. And his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, Mordecai, before whom you've begun to fall, is of the Jewish people. You will not overcome him, but you will surely fall before him. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. When Esther went to bed that night, she had wisely done all that she could to move things in the right direction for the salvation of God's people. And when Mordecai went to bed about the same time, he had faithfully done all he could. And when Haman laid his head on the pillow, he thought that he had done all that needed to be done to secure the outcome he desired. And so all three drifted off to sleep. But there was one who was not asleep. And I'm not talking about King Ahasuerus, by the way. I'm talking about a much greater king. I'm talking about King Ahasuerus' king. The king of kings. Jehovah. While everyone named in the story has done all that he or she could, the one who is never named in the story, the one who is never even referenced or even quoted in this entire book of Scripture was not asleep. He was doing, he was acting, he was moving all things by his invisible hand. You see, he never sleeps. And he never slumbers. You remember the 121st Psalm? I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? Uh, come. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade. On your right hand, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. While you sleep, the one who keeps you never sleeps, never even slumbers. 
He is ever working, ever moving, invisibly, behind the scenes, accomplishing everything according to his eternal plan and his almighty will. Now see him here, working in the Persian palace. On that night, that's how the chapter begins, on that night, on that very night, on that night, the king couldn't sleep. Now notice with me what it is that keeps the king awake. What is it? Nothing. <laughs> nothing keeps him awake. There's nothing mentioned that keeps him awake. With other kings were told why they were kept awake. Nebuchadnezzar, remember, his, his sleep is disturbed by some terrible dreams. Or, or remember, uh, sleep fleeing from King Darius because he's worried about Daniel in the lion's dead, but no such thing robs sleep from Ahasuerus' eyes. What's holding his eyes open in the dark watches of the night? It's the invisible fingers of the invisible hand. See that hand with me here, dear flock. Now, I know that's ironic for me to say to you, to see the invisible hand. I mean, who can see something that's invisible, Right? as if you could ever see such a thing. But that's okay. Uh, that irony is okay because this chapter is just chock full of ironies, isn't it? The fact is you see a lot of invisible things. You see the wind, right? I don't know. Okay, you don't, I hear you. I hear you in your minds. No, you don't see the wind. But this past Thursday afternoon, you could sure, you could sure detect it by the trees bending and the bushes being pushed up and the leaves racing across the, the pavement. You may not have been able to see the wind, but you could sure see it was there. Looking at the king's sleepless eyes, you can see the invisible hand of the unsleeping God who never slumbers. And that invisible hand moves and directs all things in our lives. Indeed, all things in the universe, all things in all creation. And I mean everything in your life. Everything. Look here. Watch the invisible hand moving everything. Even the thoughts inside the king's brain are, while he's in his bedchamber, are directed by God. Sleepless in Susa, he calls for the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, to be brought and to read out loud to him. Now, this is the king we're talking about, remember. He could have called any number of diversions, right? He had a whole harem full of them. He could have called one, two, uh, three of them, you know, or, or a musician or even a magician. But no, he calls for the record of the events of his reign to be read back to him. And so they bring the book, and there they come to the page on which are talked a couple of lines there about how when Mordecai had brought to the king's attention the murderous assassination plot of two of his own bodyguards, Bigtha and Bigthana and Teresh. Oh, now the king is wide awake. He asks, what honor or distinction has been given and bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the young uh, attendants, the young men who attend him, they answer, well, nothing. Nothing's been done for Mordecai. Now, may I remind you of something? The assassination plot had been overheard by Mordecai 
and reported by him, but that history was just left hanging there in the air. You remember back in chapter 2, some five years earlier. A lot of time between chapter 2 and and chapter 6. And at that time, when we read that text, I told you, you would be hearing about it again. Well, so would Mordecai uh, be hearing about it again. Though at the time, not a word was said, not even so much as a thank you note sent from the palace to Mordecai for saving the king's life. Now, now, finally, something is definitely going to be done about it. How can this have been overlooked, says the king. Who will save the king's life next time if this is the way people who save the king are treated? And true to form, he asks, who's in the court? Well, we've seen that about this king, haven't we, time and again. He can't make any decision on his own. He can't decide between a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a peanut butter and banana sandwich without someone there to tell him, right? So who's in the court? But before we get to that answer concerning who's in the court, just as an aside quickly, if you will be patient with me, would you notice something with me here? Mordecai's good work, his saving of the king's life, what did it gain him at the time? What did he get out of it? What was his reward? Who even gave him a handshake for his virtuous act? Nothing. No one. His service was completely overlooked. Kind of like that poor man, remember, but wise in Ecclesiastes, we studied together not long ago, who saved the entire city and as his reward got utterly and totally forgotten. Even his name. Maybe you've had that experience too. Maybe you've had similar experiences in your life. You've done some act of service. You've made some sacrifice, even great sacrifice. And who noticed? No one. Oh, really? No one? Really? Are you sure? No one? Dear ones, know this, and don't ever forget it. No act of service, no love shown in secret, no virtue is ever wasted, ever. God sees. God, who never slumbers nor sleeps, He knows, and he rewards. Do not let the lack of congratulations or gratitude or immediate reward or recognition swerve you from serving the Lord and serving him always. Know that your labor in the Lord is never, ever in vain. Back to the question. Who's in the court? Now, this is delicious, isn't it? (laughs) Absolutely delicious. Verse 4. Now, Haman had just entered the court. Haman. Ta-da! Ba-ba-ba! Surprise! 
What a coincidence. This night, this king, this book, this page, this oversight, this split second, enter Haman. Do you see it now? Do you see it? Do you see the invisible hand? This is no accident. Haman had just entered the outer corridor of the king's palace. It kind of reminds us of Ruth, doesn't it? You remember? Remember that? Who just happened to find herself? You remember this? In the, in the field of Boaz, and, and Boaz just happened to appear there that day. Like well, it's even tastier as the bird that rose early is going to find himself honoring the very worm he came to devour. Why is Haman there bright and early at the crack of dawn, probably even before morning's light? What is he so anxious to do? He can't wait to secure the king's approval for his plan to hang Mordecai high, preferably before breakfast, certainly before lunch, before the feast with Esther, so that he can enjoy the day. Haman gets the invitation he hoped for, audience with the king, but soon his hopes will be dashed. No, more than that, his hopes will be reversed to despair. Upside down they will be turned. Bring him here, says the king. Bring Haman in here. And before Haman can say a word, the king asks, what should be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Well, of course, Haman jumps to conclusions no one thinks more highly of Haman than Haman. <laughs> and so naturally he assumes that the king must certainly be talking about him. Who else? Haman thinks to himself, why would, why would the king omit the name, you know, of the person in his question? But to spare me the, the embarrassment thoughtful, sweet king that Xerxes has always proved himself to be. So without so much as the smallest smidgen of wisdom that Esther exercised in the previous chapter, remember all the wisdom that she used, even addressing the king with the fitting reply, if it pleased the king? Instead, proud and presumptuous Haman rushes right into the answer. What does Haman love most? What does Haman live for? For attention, right? For admiration, for adulation, for the praise, for the homage of men. And just so he designs his answer. For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought which the king has worn. He wants to get as close to the king as possible. And the horse that the king has ridden and on whose head a royal crown is set. Apparently Persian kings like their horses the way they like their queens, with crowns on their head. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials, and let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king loves to honor. Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king loves to honor. 
Haman could almost feel the weight of those royal robes on his shoulders already. And he could hear it. He could hear the cries of honor. He could see the admiring and adoring crowds. And his mind drifting already to the delights that awaited him. Suddenly his dream is shattered. The needle is, you know, across the vinyl record. And as the voice of the king breaks into his little dream, Haman, Haman, hurry, take the robes, take the horse, just as you've said, Go do it for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. And by the way, don't leave out any detail. Everything you just said, do it all just like you said it for Mordecai. (laughs) Now, flock, do you see the invisible hand? Do you see it yet? Only God, you know, only God can make things happen this way. And the way they still happen... At this point, modern Christians are wont to say, well, now, that was a God thing. Well, it certainly was a God thing, but, but guess what? What we need to learn from this passage today is that everything is a God thing. Everything. The bajillion providences that led up to this very entrance of Haman right into the court, right at this time, all of those things are God things. Everything that happens to you Every day, every minute, every second of every minute of every day is another God thing. God is sovereignly working all things in your life together for your good. But what we need to learn from this passage is also this, that as Paul put it recently in an evening service here In this sanctuary, in Ephesians chapter 1, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things according to the counsel of his will. As he wrote in his letter to the Romans, to expand on that, God is working all things together for the good of those who love God. And you're wont to say, all things... And God says, all things, all things. He who never slumbers nor sleeps also keeps you. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. How many ways has he not kept your life? Even this week. Ways that you've noticed and ways that you haven't. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. In other words, everywhere you go, from morning to night, from night to morning, from this time forth and forevermore, the wicked king doesn't lose a week of sleep. The hateful Haman doesn't take a step. The wise and righteous Esther doesn't say a word. The faithful Mordecai doesn't overhear a word apart from the sovereign, directing, invisible hand of Almighty God. And this God, dear flock, I tell you and all of you in the hearing of my voice right now who love him, he he does not make a move 
Not a single move does God make that is not all about your good. That is astounding. Almighty God does not make a move unless it is for your good and for the good of all of his people. Amazing love. And on the opposite side of that coin, nothing that the wicked do will fail to be visited upon their own heads in due time. Haman must do it. He just must. I mean, he's just been commanded by the king. He's got to do it as he's been ordered and to the detail for Mordecai. <laughs> the robes, the horse, the crown on the horse. The, Thus shall it be done for the man the king loves to honor you. You can't go around, mum, thus shall it be done for the man, the Lord. He's got to cry it out to the, to the whole town, you know. No wonder he goes running home uh, after this ordeal, his tail between his legs, crying to his wife and to his friends. You know, and rightly are his foolish friends called wise at this point. And Zeresh, his wife, too, who point out to him, look, Mordecai, uh, and look, look, Haman, if Mordecai, before whom you've begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome. You will surely fall before him. To paraphrase Zeresh just a little bit, my dear Haman, your toast. You know, your biscuits are cooked. Uh, she sees it, doesn't she? She sees it. She sees the invisible hand. This, this avowed pagan, this hater of God, even she sees what you see. The invisible hand of God. If Mordecai is one of God's people, honey... You're finished. You're done for. And too bad she didn't see that the previous day, you know, when she was <laughs> advising him, her husband to hang Haman high. You know, even as the words are coming out of her mouth then, the king's eunuchs arrive. And they look now like, more like a couple of police officers to take Haman by the arms and haul him to the feast that Esther has prepared. <laughs> Just... It just doesn't get any better than this, does it? Well, actually, it does. It does, because looking on this scene, we cannot help but be transported to another, to another scene. Remember another man who was under the sentence of death at daybreak? Your Savior, Jesus. He, too, was paraded about as royalty, but it was all in mockery. The purple robe was put on his shoulders, too, right? But not to honor him, to, to mock him, to deride him. King of the Jews! King of the Jews! They cried. And then they stripped him 
of it, and they led him through the city. And, and there was proclamation going on in the city that day among the people too, but it, the cries were, Crucify him! Crucify him! And there was a crown there too, but it was not of gold, and it was not on his horse's head. It was of thorns, and it was pressed into his brow. He was not like Mordecai delivered from death that day. He was delivered to death that day. And he was impaled to the tree. Why? For you and for me in our place, for our sins. But on the third day he rose again, and then he ascended into heaven, and sooner than we imagine he will return, our glorious King. And as he approaches on that great day, every knee will bow, every knee. And every tongue will confess him that is Jesus, Lord of all. Now, not all knees will bow gladly that day. Many knees will bow hatefully that day to their destruction. His enemies who refuse to receive him and own him as their sovereign king will nevertheless Bow to him. Everyone will. Everyone will. So will it be done to the one whom the Father loves to honor. This is my beloved son. So I ask you, why not bow the knee to him now? The sovereign, the unsleeping one, the one whose invisible hand is even now moving and directing all things for his own glory and for the good of all of you who love 